You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Talked about this and the stuff that, you know, when we've had meetings talking about the music you guys are making, at a certain point, the public just gets to decide, right? You do all the things that you have to do, but those things that you have to do, you have to do them and you have to do them over and over and over. And it's nauseating and it's exhausting and it feels like it never gets to an end. Uh, I heard an awesome quote the other day that I've, I've been loving, which is that success is not uh, joy, it's relief. Because if you're that person that has worked that hard at a dream, when you get success, you're not like, oh my God, I'm saying, you're just like, holy crap, I can breathe. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of 2020, where you can get away from, I don't know, being on the couch next to- facing away from your face? (laughs) It might be better that way. (laughs) (laughs) Is this on? Is this, can you hear me better now? Does this work? Hold on. It's like how's this? It's like uh, there is this it is. better. Yeah, yeah. There's that proximity. Ladies effect. and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 2020, <laughs> where you can get away from your spouse on the couch watching 90 Day Fiance as they scroll through Facebook and Instagram and Twitter to just ignore the fact that you're actually sitting on the same couch ignoring each other. I think you should listen with. It your sounds spouse. like you're, yeah. It sounds like maybe you're having some domestic issues. I'm then. Benny Goodman. <laughs> And I'd like to introduce my friends, my cohorts, my compatriots, my partners in this debauchery. Um, first and foremost, Siobhan Cronin. Hey, Ben. Happy to oh, go first today, I guess. With the Conexento. Conexento. With, with the deceiving name as far as where you're actually ethnically from. And then, of course, my other compatriot, Corey Peza. I'm just super happy to be here. And yeah, I hope that everyone listens to this together and they get their family in a big room and sit in front of the radio like they did back in like the 50s. Yeah. This week we have a fantastic guest. He's been on the show before, but I understand that you may not have been with us at that point. So if that's the case, you may want to go back and catch up because there's a lot, a lot to learn. But if you've done that already, continue resuming this recording. And listen to Jason Leckberg of Leckberg Enterprises. And also subscribe if you have not thus far. 2020-D.com. It's easy. Yep. On YouTube. Like it. Yeah. J- Jason was like one of our first guests that we had on. So definitely go back and listen to some of his background. But th- this was a fun episode because we've been working with Jason for a while. And we got to go off into some uncharted territory. Yeah, it's, Interesting a good, it's a good mix of knowledge and uh, auditory debauchery, I guess would be the best way I would <laughs> Truth bombs. <laughs> Truth bombs mixed with f bombs and other things, and it's uh, it's it's something. Yeah. So without giving too much away, stay tuned. Here we are, part one with Jason Lackberg. Gentlemen, I'm Siobhan Cronin here watching uh, Benny hit some sort of contraption on the the video cast here. (laughs) 
perfect way to start off another episode of 2020. So that's Benny Goodman and also Corey Peza here with me co-hosting. I have nothing to hit, just water. So <laughs> cheers. That's great. What do you have to say, Ben? Nothing. Okay. Anyway, back for another round with us. So happy to have him. We have Jason Lechberg of Lechberg Enterprises, also of the band Nefarian. Go check it out. He's got so many interesting things to say. We've had him on before. He's our marketing guy. He's always giving us wisdom. Super excited to be able to talk to you again and uh, serve us with even more wisdom this time. Yeah. And he's required to pretend like he likes us. So it's pretty great. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be back. And uh, it's always a good time. I have a question. When you named your company, where, where'd you come up with something so epic as Enterprises? Was Van Halen already taken? <laughs> yeah, it was Van Halen already taken. Uh, you know, Enterprises was, um, I, you know, it just sounds that grandiose. It does. Know? It certainly does. And, and I also didn't want to necessarily limit it to, uh, to just one specific thing. I wasn't going to call it Lechberg Music Management or Lechberg Marketing or I wanted to be Lechberg Enterprises. Well, you know, I'll, give, I mean, I'll give you credit as a marketing guy because when I hear enterprises, I don't think of a guy in New York with his cat. <laughs> Two cats. <laughs> <laughs> My point exactly. For, uh, yeah. for, for anyone who, who isn't familiar with Jason, uh, we, have, we have a couple episodes out already. They were, they were early on. Uh, they're filled with lots of great information. You guys should go back and check them out. But, but Hold on, let me pause you there. If you are in a band, or honestly, if you're starting a new company and you really want to know what it takes to market yourself, get up and go. Cause you hear a lot of the times on this show that like, you just need to start. Well, start by going back and watching what Jason says, because we're paying him a lot of money because he's worth it. <laughs> but we're paying him a lot of money to tell us why we're stupid all of the time. And let me tell you, there's a lot of reasons and we've learned a he's, lot. He's since earning then. it. He's earning that. He's too. earned it. And then some like, <laughs> honestly, most people hire, don't they mostly hire you for like 60 days, 90 days. We've had you for months. You're like the training wheels. We just won't take off. <laughs> well, believe it or not, there was a time when I did a lot of, of short campaigns. And I think that was because uh, artists were having a hard time understanding what my business model was and, and what this really could be for them. So they would be like, oh, we're going to a pyramid scheme. Yeah, exactly. It's actually a Ponzi scheme. That's what it is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I did some shorter ones for a while, but now I'm, I'm very happy to say that all of my clients are, are long-term clients now and all of them are... Uh, they, they all understand the business model and I don't really have a, uh, a termination date on any of the contracts with my clients. So the funny part is I feel the same way about my tapeworm. <laughs> I, very similar. Yeah. Very similar. <laughs> um, for those who, who may, you know, watch this episode, then go back to the other ones. Can we get the cliff notes version of, of what you do, Jason, just real quick? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So, uh, I run a company that allows artists who own their own IP intellectual property, meaning their music, their merchandise, all of their different rights, uh, that allows them to market that and to monetize those things as if they were with a major label, as if they were with a major merchandise company, um, essentially turning their brand brand into a small business that's completely insular. Uh, and I help them do all the things that they would normally do at a record label. So, you know, marketing and promoting and getting out into record stores and digital services and all that kind of stuff. But then also building uh, a robust direct to fan relationship that allows them to have a business that doesn't rely on whether or not a radio station plays them or whether or not Spotify playlists them. Uh, it, so it's about as I said in the last one, and I say all the time and on my website, the only two things that matter, the music and uh, the relationship with your fans. 
Yeah. I feel like you're kind of the glue that holds everything together because like creating music and being in a band or whatever, it's such a large operation. You know, there's labels, there's uh, media people, there's radio, there's social media. And I feel like you're kind of involved on all fronts. You're sort of communicating between all the different parties. So it's really interesting what you do. Yeah, that's that's very correct. I mean, it, it's kind of the the uh, an easier way to say it or something that is more it's easier to grasp for people in the music industry is an independent product manager because that's a product manager's job at a record label. They, they oversee marketing. They help create the marketing. There was a time when they didn't even create the marketing. There was a time in music industry where they were so much money there that there was a marketing department and then there was an advertising department and the product manager was literally just a trafficker. You know, just making sure. I just sure have different email addresses that all forward to the same thing. It's like info at, it's like contact at, you know, bitch at me at, and it's all, it all goes to my mom. Does the same thing. <laughs> it completely does exactly the same thing. I That's do. our whole team. My mom. Yes. <laughs> Well, she's doing a good job, <laughs> but yeah, but that's, that's the, uh, that's the job is, is for me to, to understand all of the aspects and then help all of them be the best that they can be at what they need to do. And yeah. Uh, how many artists are you working with right now? Uh, so Lost Symphony, uh, which also comes with this incredible podcast, 2020. Uh, <laughs> then I also have uh, Steel Panther, Gwar, uh, Static X. Uh, and I am actually, I, I lied. I have to restate. I am, I am doing a campaign for Buck Cherry right now. Uh, I'm not, I'm not on full time with them. Their manager is a very, very good friend of mine and uh, came to me and just asked for, for a hand with the new record. So, so what does a campaign look like, you know, in, in the event, like something like that, where you're not doing full service, like your normal thing? I mean, it's, it's very similar to the, it just has a expiration date. So, um, you know, I'm not thinking as long term, you know, when I'm when I'm working with Lost Symphony and working with 2020, we're talking about what's happening next year. We're talking about I mean, we just had a conversation the other day about, you know, Halloween 22 and 23. Right. You know, uh, Steel Panther and Gore and Static X. I have five year plans for those people. And so we're looking way down the road about how we're setting up everything and how those things all work together to build to these larger goals. Somebody like Buck Cherry who comes in, they're saying, hey, we have to put this record out. We need somebody to help quarterback everything well, that we're doing. Let me this ask release. you this, because there's something I admire about Buck Cherry. I think the song Crazy Bitch is the best stripper song in the history of fucking time. And it's you sing along to it. You like it, whether you like the band or not. Like, if you don't like that song, you don't like fun. It's like you don't like ski like on the Miami beach and <laughs> smiles, you know, like so. Let me ask you this. Do you go back in and you sit down and like, excuse me, Mr. Buck Cherry, like strippers seem to be a good thing for you because if, if I was a marketing guy, I would think to myself, if girls are taking off their clothes to my music, that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. So do you go back and say, we need another crazy bitch? Like we need like insane bitches, you I know, mean, like, like part two, like the unforgiven two, except with Buck Cherry and strippers. If I was, you know, if I was involved on the creative side of the cre of creating the album, that that may be a conversation that I would have. In this case, you know, because I was brought in to help out from the album on, that was not a conversation that I was a part of. And and sometimes I'm not a part of that conversation anyway because I'm the mechanics of the business. I'm not coming in there and being like, let me tell you how to write your songs. But they're very aware of that. The new single is called "So Hot." Wait, and, you're a uh, Megadeth song. That's Megas, awesome. Yeah. The mechanics? <laughs> yes. Is that what it means? I, had, I just thought it was just another term synonymous for the four horsemen. 
I, I think it's both. I think what okay. I think I think he's doing a little play on words there. I think he's saying I'm the mechanics of the four horsemen. I think that's what he's saying. That's, that's a deep mustang. It's deep. deep. It's deep. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean their new song is so hot and uh the video has a a very attractive young lady in it and it has uh that bouncy chorus and that bouncy riff that you want for exactly that and I and the fans are loving it. So, uh I think that without even any of us needing to tell them Mr. Buckcherry, Josh Todd knew this is what we need to do. Are they, are they still responsive? Because I feel like, okay, so I saw a band like Papa Roach, I believe you've worked with, and I saw them the other year, and I, I don't mean to diss them, I could not fucking believe how many people were at their show. I couldn't believe it. I could not, I mean, everyone knew every lyric to every song. I'm like, they have more than one song? Yeah. I didn't know that. And then first off, they were great. So like, I'm shitting on them, but they were really fantastic and they're nice people and all that. But I also was, talk I guess, about staying power blown away. Yeah. It's that, like They had the song that like, I remember from 20 years ago and that's it. But like, they seem to have like a greatest hits catalog that 5,000 like, people in a parking lot. to music 20 years ago. Ben, no, so I know, but you... still like, I feel like even as a DJ, I've been aware of like successive rock bands. And I just would never have known that. Does Buck Cherry still have like, are they that or are they like Creed where the drummer's throwing his sticks out and like no one's even catching it? No, I mean, Buck Cherry absolutely have a very successful, very passionate bass and they're doing well. They, I, I will be honest, they are not as big as where Papa Roach is right now. And Papa Roach, you know, again, I, I did work with them, as you said. That is a very special story. And that is a story of four guys that have been laser focused and unbelievably professional. Jacoby is probably one of the most professional people I've ever met in the music industry. Remembers everybody's name. Just he, he, nobody tops him. He's unreal. Well, I and, like him just because he told my buddy Rob to stop drinking, and uh, he stopped, and they saved each other's lives. So I, I, had, I, I saw that because I was hanging on the side of the stage, and I saw my boy Rob, Rob Noxious, evil Rob, who takes yeah. a lot of photos, yeah, and Rob. He, was like, he was like, oh, well, I know him because he told me to get off the sauce. And let me tell you, when I drank, back in a drinking time, Rob and I, he was one of the few people that actually scared me. So I'm glad Jacoby saved lots of lives. He did. He did. He he's part of an organization of a uh, of quite a few people in the music industry who have all banded together to help themselves and and help each other through into sobriety. And and it's it's been a powerful thing. Um, but that band, yeah, they are they are surprisingly big, and they have many many hits. And especially the last Insane. few years, they've had more hits at radio, and it, they just keep reinventing themselves and they keep working hard that that is a band i don't know of many other bands in the industry that are as tenacious as they are and i think that is like such such an important thing have you heard tenacious d it's in the fucking name guy that's marketing 101 it, it is and then tell me he's more jacoby jacoby is more tenacious than kyle gas no, absolutely not. But that's why okay. I said they're one of the most tenacious. <laughs> one of the most, okay. Yeah. That's interesting that you bring that up. I think that plays a huge part into the long-term success of different artists. And, you know, th this reminds me, actually, I'm going to reference Alex Skolnick's book. Alex is also a guest that we had on the show. He had a whole couple he of pages. Well, Ben managed to talk himself into getting a book, even though I read it and I paid for the book. So I paid for up. the book. It's called <laughs> Geek to Guitar Hero, and it's excellent. You should read it. It's yes. really, really good. But there, he goes on a whole, you know, rant for a couple pages about like all of these, you know, different guitar players and artists that he encountered early on. That was like, oh man, these guys are going to be so successful, and for various reasons, they got in their own way. You know, like their personality, or not being tenacious, or not being professional or forgetting the wrong people's names, you know? So it's interesting that you bring that up because I feel like that can play a huge part in your long-term success. It's so important. 
It is so important. I, I can't, I cannot overstate how important just showing up is. Being there and knowing what you need to do and being professional when you're there, that is, it is so much of it. Because, you know, we've talked about this in the stuff that, you know, when we've had meetings talking about the music you guys are making, at a certain point, the public just gets to decide, right? You do all the things that you have to do, but those things that you have to do, you have to do them and you have to do them over and over and over. And it's nauseating and it's exhausting and it feels like it never gets to an end. Uh, I heard an awesome quote the other day that I've, I've been loving, which is that success is not uh, joy, it's relief. Because if you're that person that has worked that hard at a dream, when you get success, you're not like, oh my God, I'm sick. You're just like, holy crap, yeah. I can breathe. Right? <laughs> yeah. And like, it just takes that. And Well, that's what happens to me when I don't take my peppermint oil. So I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> My sister was really into uh, essential oils and I went to her house a couple years ago. She had one of those peppermint oil misters and it just misted crap into my wine glass. For like <laughs> oh, an no. And I was like, why does this wine taste like shit? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I take it to not shit. So different. Well, okay. Uh, okay. You're full of useless information today. <laughs> what? No, it, for people who have IBS, so if you know that, like out there, take a peppermint oil instead of like the $75 or go to the... And by the way, IBS is just basically what... If we don't know what's wrong with you, that's what IBS is. So they give you peppermint oil and believe me, I, I tried everything in the world and then I took this shit and I felt like I was like, I woke up and I was like, I felt normal for the first time in a long time. And people don't realize until you feel normal again, you don't realize the relief and I understand that. Like, it's so like, you don't stop. You don't, appreciate, you don't appreciate breathing until you stop doing it. You know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is, that, that is a perfect analogy. That's you're absolutely right. <laughs> I, I agree. That's exactly it right there. And, and I think that, you know, that people don't realize how hard it is and how hard you have to work. And if you do, then if you do and the public responds, then now you have a career. Yeah. And so you, you have to do your side. Yeah. Speaking of, of doing your side, um, the last time we talked to you uh, was, I think, July of last year. So we're, we're a little further wow. into the, uh, you know, the, the world reforming and doing whatever the hell it has to do and the music industry doing that as well. Uh, have you noticed uh, anything over the past year or so that bands are capitalizing on or the opposite, like kind of maybe losing a little bit where they should be picking stuff up? You know, I feel like I, I'm always going to say that bands need to be having more direct connection with their audience, even, even if that doesn't mean, you know, like messaging people one-on-one -on, -one on Instagram, because that doesn't work. But like thinking about your audience and like, what are you doing to provide them what they want? And especially having people sit at home for a year, a year and a half, like they had so much opportunity to make content that connects with their audience. And a lot of people just made albums. And I think that's, that's good. That's, that's a good thing. Unfortunately, that means that, you know, we currently have a year back order situation for vinyl because everybody's trying to make a record at the same time. So that's not good, but, and everybody, that means everybody's album is going to come out at the same time, but at least they were creative. But during that time, they also could have, you know, stick Zidania from Steel Panther launched his own little store for his brand, right? Called Sticks It Industries. And he, because he's sitting at home not doing Lechberg anything. Lechberg Enterprises, Sticks, Sticks Big Industries. That sounds... Yes. Yeah, it sounds, sounds derivative, but cool. 
It's all right. I won't, we won't say <laughs> that to him. On this message. <laughs> it actually sounds really official. It doesn't sound like the guy from Steel Panther sitting with two cats at his house. So it do, He also has two cats. Does he really? <laughs> it totally does. Oh, my fucking Christ. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, Hi, Sticks. I miss you, bro. You're the best. <laughs> but, you know, he got so excited about the fact that he was things were happening that he wrote a thank you song for his fans. It's like, you know, a minute, minute and a half long. And it's just him literally like the screen scrolls the names of everybody that bought something from his site. And he wrote this song and like went and stood on a little hill by his house and had his kid like use a, a leaf blower to blow his hair back and filmed it with a camera. <laughs> and it's like, thank you for coming to Sticks and Industries and whatever, you know, like things like that just make fans go, holy crap, yeah. I love this band. I love this person. And people, people don't think about that sometimes. So I think that's something that there was missed opportunity there. Uh, things like we did with Panther again, like the days of the week, you know, I mean, obviously that's very brand specific, yeah. but, but just taking the time to create that content builds a bond with the fan. And so I think there was definitely some, some missed opportunity there, but I love the amount of artists that I've seen doing live streams, the amount of artists that I've seen just, just digging in creatively uh, and preparing themselves to be able to go back out and, and do things again. So I think there's a, there's a couple of fun things, you know, Benny, you had great ideas about using cameo and we did use cameo a little bit to kind of like play people off each other, which was great. I don't know if you saw, I think it's today or yesterday, a band metal band went on cameo and paid for like, a hundred, that was like a hundred. It was like 45 or 50 or something like that. Major metal stars to watch their video. And then they <laughs> oh made their own reaction video of all these famous people watching their video and then That's put that hilarious. up. Yeah. Is it good? I didn't watch it. <laughs> Is the song? Okay. <laughs> I have no idea. Literally no idea. I, I read the headline and I was like, That's clever and moved on. So sorry. A friend of mine, his band, they do have a video game cover band and they uh, they did a Mortal Kombat cover and they they paid for gilbert godfrey to read all the announcer stuff and like the oh names and it's phenomenal <laughs> it's it's amazing <laughs> i'll give a shout out lame genie mortal Kombat. check it out it's amazing that's oh, awesome nice. <laughs> i love yeah. the fact that there's more than one video game band because isn't there that it's other you, one yeah there's oh there's lots of video there's game lots bands, yeah dude. there's like, um it's uh, a thing what's an, the another guy that, that ben and i know uh was it shada uh yeah yeah yep he uh he, he's, he's got a huge Final one. Fantasy ones he's got a huge he, band. Um, yeah, he he, he video literally game like, orchestra, video game. Yeah, orchestra, he has a whole orchestra, yeah. and he goes and plays like these crazy like conventions where everybody from around the world like, and he gets these like insane Jedi level players, and he plays full concerts, and people think it's insane, and he's he uh, parlayed that into helping with the Jason Becker record. Like yeah, he did the because he was in video games. Like wow. what? And then he shows up at my house during the middle of our Lost Symphony sessions I, because yeah, my buddy's trying to shoot um, a Tascam commercial. He's like, "Oh, we need a home studio." I'm like, "Cool." So like that guy just showed up. And we're like, "Oh, hey!" And we all high fived. Like this was pre COVID. It was awesome. <laughs> yes. But I was like, "Wow, dude!" Like get me into video games. He showed yeah, up like video a, of him playing. It's, it's I like, was like, "Holy shit!" You know, I guess people wow. people grew up with video games. It's it's a nostalgia thing, and and then making them a modern metal production for a lot of those bands. It's, I guess, video game music. Dude, fits Dude, Stan metal Bush, really well. who's saying the who's saying the theme, the touch from the Transformers movie, literally yeah. has made an entire thirty five year career out of singing the song from the Transformers movie. 
That's it. That's what he's done. Stan Bush. Oh, uh, uh, w- oh excuse me. Stan Bush with Vince DiCola, who also did the soundtrack for Rocky Three. So I don't want to like leave that out. No, their entire tour is built around this. Like the video game music many times through Miami, there have been like full symphony orchestra, Final Fantasy Shoda. performances. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but wow. so much of it comes down to, yeah, how can you turn your product into something that can touch different areas of the, the music world, right? You know? So it's With, The thing that, that always gets me, though, is that I, I don't know, as a, as a musician, I don't know if I would want to wake up 10 years from now and be like, I'm paying my bills with music, but I got to be the video game guy. You know <laughs> what I mean? I was driving, if I was driving myself a Continental GT, uh, I, 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 and I made it from fucking toilet seats, I wouldn't care. I really, honestly, at the end of the day, as long as I'm <laughs> well, we, happy, we, we know I that, don't ben. care where we it know. came from. <laughs> you man. don't need to like, prove yourself. We know you're a whore. Me even, it, 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 yeah, <laughs> well I'd rather be a rich whore than a starving artist at this point you know, is what I, I'm saying. I, I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but I will, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something that actually happened that's, a, that's a, a real story that it probably doesn't even matter at this point. But in Finland, there's a, I think it's all over Europe, actually. There's an organization that is basically a metal band but it's like Barney. So it's like stuffed dinosaurs that are in a band <laughs> and they play kid, they play heavy metal music for kids and they tell stories and teach you like lessons and Isn't everything. Isn't that just Shannon Larkin? <laughs> I don't think he, I don't think he's Wasn't he in a right band like, like called the ants or something where he like, oh, he yeah. played like rock and roll for like kids. <laughs> oh, he did. Yeah. I think he did talk about this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah it sounds like characters. something right up Shannon's alley where he would be like dressed up like out of his mind playing smiling his head off for kids all right well this band is called heavy saurus and they have <laughs> multiple versions around the world and a couple of years ago there was a discussion about bringing so wait, it the tso the trans-siberian orchestra like business model they have dinosaurs in different areas you have like an east mean- coast dinosaurs and west <laughs> yes. coast dinosaurs for real yes and my band at the time Achilles, got approached to be the heavy the u.s heavy saurus and basically because the agent who was doing it knew us and knew we were out there grinding and knew that we were working and we were ready to like go on the road. And he called me and he was like, look, it's like three months a year you get paid. I think it was, I don't even remember what the amount was, but it was, it was decent. It was like, you know, living middle-class wage. Uh, you wear a costume. You cannot let anybody know that you're in the band. Uh, you're like, okay, that's that's a check. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, you have to go do appearances and hang out with kids. Sounds like Fight Club, dude. And like, yeah, like, it's, it's crazy. And I, I went to my band and I was like, guys, like, we can fund ourselves doing, <laughs> yeah. a, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, and so we went back and forth and we talked about it. And then finally we were like, yeah, all right, fine, fine. Like, I'll, Wait, I'll are, go, you, are you breaking a gag order right now? No, well, yeah, we were supposed to not talk about it, but it, I mean, this was like five, six years ago and it never came to America. So I don't even, I, I doubt I would get the call at this point. And I don't, I don't know if I would Wait, take. Wait, so you dressed up with the, let's just go there. So you dressed up as a dinosaur? It never happened. It, oh, never, okay. it never happened. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a shame. Kind of like Lance, like bass going into space. The what? Lance, Lance Bass. Bass, is it? Bass, bass, whatever. Lance oh, Bass. Lance, and so, yeah, he was, supposed to go to, he was supposed to go to space, but it never happened. Just like the dinosaurs. Oh, I didn't know. I just like that. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, if I had to pick a member of NSYNC to go to space. Sure. <laughs> well, if you, ever do get, if you ever do get that call, I'm open to being a dinosaur and making right. money. So 
I will keep that in mind. my info. Did you I have will... any pushback where you're like, I would like to be a Stegosaurus? No, I have to play the characters according to the to where they are. So I was be the the lead singer was like a I think it was a Tyrannosaurus and had big red hair. I don't know. <laughs> Do <laughs> kids relate to heavy... metal? This this is interesting because I can't really imagine kids being drawn to to heavy metal music. We well, said like Finland, it's... right? Yeah, it's okay, Europe. Well. Yeah. <laughs> so and and it's and it's heavy metal like. I mean, like, I think the one song that I listened to that I was like, all right, let me figure out what this is. It was kind of like disturbed. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like we weren't doing Cannibal Corpse here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to picture this. <laughs> but yeah, it's a thing. And they sing about like, you know, eating your vegetables and like going to sleep at night and, you know. You got to look it up. Look it I, up. Heavy Cypress. Most <laughs> definitely will be doing that. <laughs> no, but it's, it's interesting because you bring up the point of like, you know, all the various things that we as musicians have to do or end up doing that we didn't think we would do. And I talk to classical musicians all the time where it's the joke is like, oh, yeah, I went to school to study classical violin performance. And that's like 10 percent of what I do on a daily basis. You know, like it influences everything. But almost everything I do functionally, I had to figure out after school. And yeah. the things you just can't predict. So it's, it's interesting. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize that outside of the music industry. You got to be in the game. Like that's, it's kind of a weird thing. Cause when I was first in the music industry, I was still playing when I was first on like the business side, I was still playing in my band and I didn't want to tell people because I felt like it would make me seem disingenuous and it'd make me seem like I'm, I'm just in here trying to get my way. And there are some people who definitely think that about you, but the deeper you get, the more you realize everybody almost everybody on the business side either did play or still does play. And it's not about needing to like leverage opportunity. It's about just being in the, in the game, just like just working and making whatever connections you got to make and doing whatever you got to do. You just got to work. You got to, if you're not there, then you're not around for the opportunity. So you just got to be there. Right. And this is, we might've talked about this on our last cast with you, but it's, it's interesting how there aren't more people or maybe now there are, but you know, people that have are musicians or have been musicians that move over to the more corporate side or like people that work at labels. Like my experience with a lot of people I've interacted with on the label side is most of them aren't musicians. You know, they they li- like or appreciate music, but they haven't ever really been involved on the artistic side. So I'm kind of surprised there isn't more of that because you're right. I mean, you have to be kind of fully in the game and it get, it's it's an asset to have that experience of doing various sides of the same coin, you know? I think the more you get into the pop genres, that's absolutely the, the case. And when you're at the majors, that's absolutely the case. But okay. in the, the indie labels, and especially on the heavy music side, which is obviously who I know the most, I, I mean, almost everybody, you know, like the, the guy at Steel Panther's business accounting firm who processes the checks has a band. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like in the accounting side, like, I, and I don't even know if he's only doing music, but I mean, like the other day he's, he was like, Oh, you know, just put something up on Bandcamp," And I was like, Oh, I didn't even know you played. And, you know, so like, there's just a, every, everybody is involved somehow. The guy that does the, the metal programming for Pandora has his own band. And like he and I were trading links the other day and like, you know, so it's just a, a definitely good? on that side. Yeah. It's cool. It was really cool. It's like, does a he, does he like make himself trend on Pandora? Does he have that power? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, I would probably a little bit, but I think, but I think he would get in trouble if he did. Uh, No, it's cool. It's like a, it's like an industrial, a gothy industrial project, (coughs) like a two man project, but it's like really gothy industrial. And it was cool. It was good stuff. Really atmospheric. 
Have you uh, encountered in your travels kind of the opposite? Someone maybe in a relatively well-known band that actually is doing something completely outside of music to to support themselves, even though they're in a, at a higher level? Oh yeah, I'm, I mean I'm not going to name names, but I mean I'm, I, it's so difficult. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean I you know I was on a uh, conference call this evening with uh, with an artist who uh, was trying to schedule a interview around a meeting that their boss had set up for them. Uh, You know, I know, I know guys that have legit careers that are playing in very big bands that are take using their time off and, and they have some type of a deal worked out. Uh, One of the, who was it? One of the guys in one of the glam bands warrant or or one of those guys in LA started a call center, like a a customer service call center in the nineties and hired all the, those guys because That's they amazing because they, they were like oh yeah well we know what the deal is now so you can go on tour and they just like that was the deal you worked at this call center when you came home and you know i mean that's, that's just a, a brilliant business plan <laughs> yeah it was really cool that just, in fact i would say i would say the majority of the people in the industry have some other kind of hustle unless you're like so big that you're making tons of money and even right. then people people do anyway just because they want to be invested but one of my clients, again, I won't name names, but one of my clients started a 3D scanning business with a buddy of his like five or six years ago. And they have one of only two portable scanners in the world. Wow. So if you're making a video game and you, don't, you can't get your actors to LA or New York or London or whatever, you can pay this company and they'll fly wherever you are and scan the, the actors to put them in your video game. And that company is... I mean, that's as What that's if his, I want to scan my ex-girlfriends and then if I want to like visit them again when they're not speaking to me, can I like put them in my virtual reality and still bang them? You absolutely could. <laughs> I think it's probably about $100,000 a scan though. Scott, if you're listening, <laughs> is there a budget for this? Is this in the budget? <laughs> Jason's our marketing guy. He's the one talking about it. I mean, then, but see, that's the problem. That's just the scan. Then you've yeah. still got to pay the people to take the scan and put it into virtual reality <laughs> and make it workable and movable. So what you're saying is real life horse is cheaper than virtual horse. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like by a long shot. Kind of in this vein and getting as far away from the things that Ben is talking about as possible. Like um, mud vein? Yes. Mud vein? Uh, and kind of like how, you know, people are making money while being in bands and, and the music industry in general. I wanted to ask you about NFTs because uh-huh. this is like the, the, the new hot thing that everyone doesn't understand, but talks about oh, like yeah. they do. Uh, and I know that you have, you've been in the, the, the crypto realm for a little while, so you might have a better understanding than most. Maybe you can maybe give us an overview of what you, uh, NFT. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Non-fungible token. Is what that stands for. I love that. Is word. that for like uh, ski ball? You could eventually. You'll probably be able to use it for ski ball. Yeah, I love yeah. ski ball. Ski ball is fun. I'm bad at it, but it's fun. Uh, so I, you know, look, NFTs are probably the most overhyped, blown out of proportion thing in the music industry right now, uh, and I'm I'm happy to see them see the hype start coming back down. But uh, you know, it's it's a to start at the earliest part and to try and make it as, as bite-sized as possible, uh, you know, people associate NFTs with cryptocurrency like Bitcoin and Ethereum and all of that with blockchain. And the things all work together, but they're, they're separate parts. They're not actually the same thing. So blockchain is basically, uh, it is a 
way of communicating information across the internet the same way that HTML is, which is what all of our websites and all the internet are built on. Blockchain, there are many people like myself who believe that the blockchain will be the platform of the future. It's, uh, it's scalable, it's smarter, it's better, just everything about it is, is just better. So it will be eventually what replaces what we now know as the internet. Uh, and cryptocurrency was one of the first things that was built on it because of course, if you put money in something and a way for people to make fast money, it makes people want to be involved with it, which helps fund the development and helps grow the overall technology. But one of the biggest things, the biggest promises of the blockchain is what's called a smart contract. And that basically means that there is a interaction between two different entities that is uh, that does not require a third party to authenticate it. So if you sell a house, you have to have lawyers and banks and everybody else in the middle to say this legally happened and here's who owns this and here's the paperwork. With a smart contract, because of the way that a de decentralized ledger works, which is what the blockchain is, uh, that transaction is recorded on thousands and thousands of different ledgers all over the world. So if at any point that information needs to be referenced or it's attempted to be changed, it checks all of these thousands of different ledgers and says, is this correct? Is it not correct? So if it's tr someone tries to hack it or steal it or whatever. Can I, can I just tell you that this sounds like if James Cameron were to walk into a fucking office and say, you want to know what's the most terrifying thing ever? Have you heard of what blockchains are? There's nobody kinda... that can do anything about it. You don't have to go out to a desert. You don't have to do anything. You just have to have one number. And you want to know what happens? Whatever those money. numbers say. No. <laughs> and you want to know what? Someone's going to get accosted. They're going to make a fucking crazy ass movie about it. And then things, people are going to start stealing your blockchain intellectual property, right? Isn't that possible? No, no. I, think, I think you're not listening that's, to this. That's what I don't know what it means. No, I, listen, it's not that no, I'm not listening. At I don't kind of that that. anything <laughs> that he's saying. Okay, so nothing. It's, so it's like this. I understood robust because I like coffee. Besides that, I literally lost everything else he said. Okay, Ben. So if you buy uh, a Les Paul, right? You buy a now Les Paul from Scott. And when you buy that Les Paul from Scott, Siobhan and Corey and myself and Paul and Kelly and everybody else associated with Lost Symphony all writes down on a piece of paper, Benny bought Les Paul from Scott, right? Then if Scott tries to come back in two days and goes, Benny didn't buy that from me, my record says that Benny didn't buy it from me. Well, then everybody else involved, Corey, Siobhan, Paul, everybody, Kelly, will all pull out our ledgers and go, but our ledgers say it. Benny did buy it from Scott, and because there are 15 ledgers that say he did and only one that said he didn't, then Scott's ledger is wrong now and it's not trusted. So it's impossible for you take that and multiply it by like 3,000, and now you have something that is unhackable because it's not possible with our current computing to hack all the different ledgers at the same time so that, so that the story that was written is different than it happened. So your information is safer on a blockchain than anywhere else in the world. Okay. Wow. That was a really good explanation. <laughs> that was like very clear to me. <laughs> yes, guitars. Good. Yes, good. Yeah. Wonderful. So the beauty, the beauty of that type of a transaction, that is what is called a non-fungible token. A non-fungible token is a item that is sold on the blockchain through a smart contract that is not able to be divided. 
right? You can't split it up. You can't, re you can't do anything else with it. It has a contract. Why it's exciting is that the same reason that people pay hundreds of millions of dollars for a Picasso painting, right? Because they can say there is one Picasso painting in the world and this is the Picasso painting. And we have the, you know, all of the, here's the history of who owned it, whatever it's called, the prominence mm -hmm. of, of who owned it and where it came from. That's great. A non-fungible token on the blockchain is that same prominence of whatever package because there's a, the ledger records what's been bought and what's been sold. Moreover, when you get into secondary and tertiary sales down the road, the contract can be written in such a way that the original creator earns a percentage of the sale. So currently, when Steel Panther makes guitar pedals and we sell them to our fans for $200, some of those fans turn around and put them on reverb for $800 because they're limited. Well, that fan just made $600 on Steel Panther. Can't not doing buy them on, you can't even buy them on reverb anymore. They took them off because they banned them. I know. <laughs> so dumb. That's, that's a whole other story. <laughs> but <laughs> if you buy them on Facebook Marketplace yeah. or Craigslist uh, for trust $800. Me, trust me, I looked. <laughs> all right. So the, the fan is making that profit. But the mm -hmm. intellectual property, the owner of the person that created that, that content that made it that valuable gets nothing. With a smart contract, automatically through the function of the blockchain, a percentage of that sale goes back to the original creator. So yeah, I'm not a mathematician or anything, but doesn't Moore's law say that like every two freaking years that everything like doubles in speed? Have we figured yes. out exponentiality that this can't be uh, <laughs> like we can't like, go circumvent this encryption or whatever there is? Because uh, it seems to me that like everyone that's every time someone says, oh, it can't be done. No computer could be that fast. Then it's some asshole. It's like, oh, yeah, but I'm also opening a black hole in Japan with my super collider. <laughs> so the form of computing that could hack Bitcoin theoretically is called quantum computing. And quantum oh, computing is something that's understood and it makes sense and it will eventually happen. But currently, we don't have processors that can get anywhere near the speed that need to be done. And the amount of electricity you need to run a quantum computer basically doesn't isn't something that's attainable. But don't we have the CERN and now aren't they making something that's like 10 times more powerful than the CERN and that we could literally yes. like they're, we they're have building neutrinos? that specifically to Will hack Bitcoin. <laughs> no, but I'm saying we could literally, we, we, we have smashed so many atoms with so much power. We yes. have pictures of neutrinos, which yeah. proves that we could slow down time. I don't know what that means, but we could slow down time by going faster than the speed of light. So how are you telling me that I can't hack Bitcoin? Because what CERN and the things like CERN do is they destroy particles in our world to be able to understand them. A quantum computer has to build and grow and learn things. And Jason, we haven't, Jason, haven't before we yet. get too far down this path, I need no, to remind you that the, the, only, really the only way to win this game is to not respond to what Ben says. <laughs> no, but that's really will, good what he's saying be because it makes me feel down. better. Because that was a good metaphor for trying to understand. Because I'm not even joking because every time somebody says this can't be done, there's some scientist out there that's like, oh, we're already doing this. Yeah. Somebody like Ray Kurzweil saying, oh, well, I already am 20 years ahead because 20 years ago, I already knew it was theoretical so we already figured out the problems that we could figure out then so that when we figured out the theoretical things that we would know by now we already figured out the problems so we can get to the next level without having to take all that extra time but the main issue being that the current system is far easier to manipulate than the system has this... failed if mustaine has taught you anything yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let, so let's let's take it back to to music and to how it applies to us right so uh, yes, eventually every technology that's created, uh, destroying technology will also be created because that's just 
humans. So we'll get there and then we'll build something else better. And that's, that's just what it'll be. Uh, but how it applies to us and how it applies to art is, is what's really special about this. Because if Lost Symphony puts out chapter three, which they are putting out chapter three in the, in the very near future. And if that comes out and then we put I a box signed a bunch together, of shit, dude. So it better be happening. Are you fucking kidding me? It's absolutely happening. Like, my, my hand still okay, hurts. Ben, back, back to the topic. <laughs> but if you put that out and you sell, we're only making 500 vinyl, right? So those 500 vinyl, once they're sold, if we sell them for the normal price that's on the site, people buy those, they take them home, they do whatever. Lost Symphony then over the next couple of years gains momentum and becomes a bigger and bigger band and, and things start growing. All of a sudden, those first 500 vinyl are now going to be worth a lot more than they were on the site. If those 500 vinyl are registered as NFTs and they have smart contracts attached to them, if those sales happen... In the, in, on the blockchain as part of that sale, so the actual NFT is transferred, we could write in that 25% of any future sale comes back to Lost Symphony. So if one of those 500 albums is all of a sudden worth half a million dollars, then when it sells and someone agrees to pay half a million dollars for it, Lost Symphony would then make 25% of that sale, thus preserving the art that they created, that you created, mm -hmm. that may not have had the value at the moment it was sold, but eventually earned that value. So that that makes pretty good sense to me. I, I think I get that. One one argument I've heard, uh, or maybe not an argument, but one concern that people have is when you're doing that in the digital realm and you're saying that you're doing an NFT for a song, a digital song and say, you know, okay, I own this song, but it's also on Spotify and, you know, people can download it on iTunes. Like what makes a digital asset unique and special as an NFT versus like a physical asset? Well, I mean, the first answer to that is the, is what your contract is and what you're actually buying, right? Mm -hmm. So it is possible to sell the master to a song, and if someone sold the master to the song, then the person who bought that NFT of the master of the song would be the only person who could legally distribute it on Spotify. And if they wanted to put it on Spotify and then they make the earnings from the streaming of that song, then that would be their right because they own the master. What you may be buying, according to the contract, is just simply a copy of the song. And it may be a copy in a certain limited number, right? So then you're the only person that has the actual legally verifiable copy, right? You can buy, uh, you know, you can buy Starry Night as a poster and yeah. you can buy Starry Night as a t-shirt and you can buy it as a handbag and Wait you can buy minute. it as yeah. all kinds of different Wait things. Wait a minute. Is this what Trent Reznor meant by a copy of 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 a copy? Very possibly. Okay. Yeah. He's a, he's a futurist. I'd, I'd believe it. Yeah. But, but, yeah. but the point is only sense. one person owns the actual Starry Night. And so it comes down to the value that people apply to it. If somebody says there's only a thousand copies that I will be able to verifiably say I own one of these thousand copies then, and I'm willing to pay more for that, then that's a sale that happens. And I mean, realistically, like everything in the world is, is worth what people will pay for it. But wait, right. what is this going to do to the Wu-Tang? Like, if they want to come out with a new album, are they going to be able to sell it to some rich guy? Like, for the one, the one album? Like, like that guy who, like, tried to like, take all my money from my grandmother they Actually, died. they seem ahead of, the, ahead of their time with that. that Way ahead of Oh, I know. Well, yeah. first off, yeah. the Tao of Wu, RZA, that guy is a philosopher. They're amazing. They're incredible. So the fact is, and, and, and if you guys actually want to know a really cool model to how to sustainability. So first off, the call, ch uh, the call center is almost like how the Wu-Tang 
work because when all the other Wu-Tang aren't working, they all get a piece <laughs> of whatever, like, you know, uh, the other Wu-Tang, the, the other Wu is doing. So yeah. if, you know, RZA wants to chill and Dirt McGirt is eating dirt and, you know, the, uh, the uh, Cappadonna is like, hey, I'm going to go do a stadium tour. Cappadonna feeds everyone else. But then when they go, Cappadonna goes and chills, RZA goes out and does his thing. And then he makes a little bit off of him. So they're all kind of like pimping each other. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful uh, business model. Hopefully all is well in the camp and continues to be well, because that could definitely turn into one person feeling like they're carrying everybody else. But uh, <laughs> if that doesn't happen, it's beautiful. What we're really talking about with digital currency and NFT and these types of things, we are not everyone. The hype is there because people thought we've found a gold rush and we've reinvented the wheel. And this is in no way, shape or form reinventing the wheel. This is just a new way to do the same things we're already doing. We're already selling signed limited edition products. That's already happening. This is just a different way to verify it with the potential of future earnings as the world moves on to blockchain as their, as their currency or as their means of transferring currency, which is still a ways off. So is this uh, basically just making everything as a perpetuity? Forever. In perpetuity, yeah. yeah. So basically where we've fucked ourselves as musicians is that we don't get things in perpetuity easily. And this way it's going to ensure. Yeah. Which is why model it's, it's, it's piqued my interest. You know, it, it seems like, like Chuck the first Berry at the end of the show, pay up my fucking money, but you don't have to have Chuck beating the them first, down like, in the backyard. The first glimmer of like hope as everything the past several years has been like, why, why would people want to be musicians? <laughs> right. This is the first thing that I saw that was like, that looks like it has potential to make being a musician worth it at some point. Wait, do you think this is what old Dirty Bastard was writing about Probably when he not. wrote Most "Baby, I Got not, Your no. Money" with Khalees? Highly like, unlikely. I think. I think. Siobhan, Siobhan, you had a question earlier. No, no, I was just saying it was, I was really interested that you got into this topic because I saw the other day there was a, like this meme, uh, like it was a photo that was taken. It's like the disaster girl. You might've read about this. It's some photo of, of this girl that her father took of her in front of like a burning house. And at the time it wasn't you know, important or valuable. And then all of a sudden it became a meme and it's all over the internet. And there was an an article about how she sold or the NFT sold for half a million dollars or something. And I was very confused about what that even meant. So it was interesting that this came up because it's, that's a fascinating one to me. And and that goes back to the same art issue. Right. And, and to touch on kind of the question you asked, Corey, I don't know if I answered it fully because the, the reality is there are thousands of versions of that out there right? And you can have a digital copy. You can have right. a t-shirt and a poster and a handbag of Starry Night. Like you can have that and you can go, I'm not going to spend $5 million on Starry Night. I'm just going to get the t-shirt. But what, hold on, yeah. but what if Van Gogh doesn't want you to spend $5 million and puts a bunch of razor blades inside his painter, painting so that if someone doesn't do what he says, it can just cut itself in front of everybody. Okay, I back mean, to Jason. Sorry. Sorry but about that. Remember Banksy? Hold on. This is very <laughs> important because I feel like Banksy, that's is actually... It? Is it? Banksy did it. That was was actually brilliant. And it's exactly what he's talking about because he actually set up a code and said, if anyone fucks with this, I'm going to press the button. And unbeknownst to everybody, he shredded a painting. Right. But on television, it was amazing. uh, But that is not, I don't think that changes the mechanics of this at all because this is really about Megadeth. Yeah. The system has failed. It's it's about what people are willing to pay. Everything on this planet is about what people are willing to pay. And there are people who are willing to pay half a million dollars for Disaster Girl when there are probably 50 million digital copies of it out there. Now, 
if that person actually bought the full copyright to that image, yeah. they now have the right to legally take action against anybody else using it. I don't know why they would do that, but they would have the right to do it. Yeah. And they also have the right to walk around and go, I own the only legal copy of this, which, I mean, I don't know, maybe it gets them an extra shot at the bar they hang out at, but if that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's what, that's what makes them happy. I mean, look, you know, yeah. there are certain people <clears throat> in our in company here who feel the same way about guitars. <laughs> we won't mention names. Some would call them neurotic. <laughs> and yeah, some would call them neurotic. Yeah. And I look at some of those in my, guitars. In my, in my defense, it's worked. Yeah, you so know far. what? I'm I'm not even I'm making a joke because I'm trying to to add levity here. But my point is, this is the way the world works. This is the it way is. people are. They collect things, and certain people have different values on things. And look, if somebody's going to value it and pay for it, God bless capitalism. Yeah. What's uh, What's your outlook on the the NFT area as far as the, which direction you think it could go? I, I mean, I think it's the future of how we uh, transact anything of value in the future. I absolutely think I think we're going to be buying homes and and buying land and cars and everything else through some version of a smart contract uh, in the future. I, I fully believe that that's where we're going. Uh, I think it's going to take a little while to get there because uh, digital currency is still such a, truly the wild west, and the and the learning curve to getting into using it is so steep. Uh, but I've been working with a company for a couple of months now who are building a Shopify application that will allow people, the average person to use what's called fiat currency. So the, the currencies we normally have, USD, euros, you know, whatever, to buy a NFT through Shopify. And I think that's going to be, that's something that hopefully the app will be approved in the next week or so here. And then those will stop popping up in some of my stores, my artist stores. And if you guys would like one, we'll be happy to do it. Uh, and, and I think that's just a way to help start normalizing it. Because it's actually, it's kind of like a pseudo NFT. They still are going to own the code, but I think most people buying it won't understand what they're truly doing and how, it, how they're doing yeah. it, but it will help. It will <laughs> help never stopped people before, so. No, <laughs> but it will help normalize it and it'll help bring it into the mainstream. And I think that's, that's what we need. That's the whole point of, you know, Bitcoin and people spending a lot of money on Bitcoin. And that's the other thing too, that just to speak to the hype about it, people don't understand the mechanics of what's happened here, right? There are people who bought Bitcoin 12 years ago when it was two cents a Bitcoin, right? I, today, I think it's $53,000 a Bitcoin. So there are people who are literal millionaires and billionaires. Can I tell you something that, that, that makes me so angry that's very similar to that? I used to have a Black Lotus in the game Magic the Gathering. I had an alpha Black Lotus, mint condition. And I had a beta Black Lotus mint condition. I saw a 10 out of 10 Black Lotus on eBay right now for $999,000. And I think to myself, I could have either bought Bitcoin or just kept my magic cards. But did you buy Bitcoin? I threw out mag my magic cards. I think I traded for a blockbuster. This is why Benny needs you, something. Jason. And then, no, I actually, I think I lost them. I think I lost my uh, my my cards in like a tournament to some other hustlers trying to hustle magic cards. But like, I literally, just so you know, like I I, I as a child probably had 
a half a million dollars of magic cards that I have some valuable Pokemon cards too, but they're worthless now too. They're selling on eBay. I'm just waiting for Pogs to come back so I can cash in. Dude, right? (laughs) Or dude, I have Star Wars cards. I got a Darth Vader with a black border and and, 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 no one plays that shit anymore. It's like, but it's Star Wars. I thought that that was like a really sure shot. You never know. That's the thing. So if you had kept those, then you would be like these people with Bitcoin. And if you take cryptocurrency out of digital wallets now, the United States government considers that an asset. So you have to pay 40% on your earnings. So most people are just leaving the money in their digital wallets because to them, they spent a dollar in 2007, and now they have $5 million in digital currency. So they're just waiting for things to spend it on in digital currency. So when Blau- That sounds like a bunch of Democrats trying to get out of spending money on tax. So we can fix our streets and shit. I mean, yeah, they don't want to pay taxes, but it's also, it's, but it's, it's money that's sitting there because it, uh, it, it, it doesn't have anywhere to go. So when Blau puts up an album that you can actually buy and there's finally marketplace where you can buy things that you want. EDM reference. I did. Uh, (laughs) that's why those things, that's why he made $11 million because person who, who, you know, put up a bid of $8 million for his album probably spent to them, that was six cents or that was 50 cents or mm-hmm. whatever they spent it for. So it's fake money to them. And that's what people don't understand when they saw this hype. They were like, oh my God, there's so much money. There's only so much of that out there. And there's only so many people willing to take their $10 million and go, I'm just going to spend it on this thing I don't really care about. But for a minute, when you could finally buy things, there's a Twitter account you can follow. It's called the Bitcoin Pizza. <laughs> the first transaction that ever happened with digital currency a person bought a pizza for Bitcoin. And every day on Twitter, it tells you how much that pizza is worth <laughs> on the given, on the value of Bitcoin. And it, yesterday it was worth like $570,000, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's fast. I mean, this is so foreign to me, but that's fascinating to see. I, I, yeah. Wow. It's just such a wacky like situation. Is that what Antiques Roadshow is going to be like? Mm-hmm. This was on Bitcoin yeah. back in the day. And you this know, is my floppy drive. Like versus, you know, like. People have you know, their, their little hard, hardware wallet. Like, can you please appraise this? Is a yes. USB, they called it a jump drive. You know, I got to tell 2.0. you. Somebody from Antiques Roadshow should be watching this. That's a, that's a. That's an idea right there, because that, that show should be brought into the younger generation, and that's exactly what people... Well, what it should be, it should be like, like this is a GoBot, and this is a Transformer Generation 1 versus Generation 2. And but first off, the internet already answered all this shit, because like if you go and say, hey, man, I like Transformers, Paul Lorenzo, our drummer, like sat me down and watched... I watched a whole series that some nerdy nerd made that like has hundreds of thousands of views that explained the entire different Generation 1... Uh, 84, 85, 86 Takara lines of Transformers so thoroughly, I sat there like like and, and I think to myself, man, there's a lot of people that will probably do that so yes, there will be Bitcoin probably on Antiques Roadshow, but it won't be the same because it'll probably just be getting downloaded to your brain at that point I hope it goes to Pawn Stars first. <laughs> That's where I hope it goes. Pawn Stars or American Pickers. I want to. I want to see like the digital hoarder yeah. guy's house. Who's going to make a digital <laughs> collection? He's going to make a museum in his. This house. digital milk is not expired. I could still digitally drink it. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but everybody on American Pickers is is uh, going to open a a museum for the kids in their neighborhood. I don't know if you've if you've ever picked up on that. 
I, I know. I haven't no. seen it. I missed. I I, I I didn't know that show was still it on. Makes t- it makes taking <laughs> things from old people seem a I lot used to nicer. Watch it all the time, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, it's been a minute since I've watched it, but that's what it seemed like last time. Yep. Wow. People will be digging out Bitcoin wallets. Well, you know, like, you know, I, the thing that's crazy to me is that uh, now the past, I feel like, is taking over with technology. So I'm watching Pluto Television. They they're at 1984 right now with Prices Right. We've been talking about this on our conference calls, or I've been talking about it on our <laughs> conference calls. We haven't but been like, talking about it. I'm all watching for stuff <laughs> how much appliances and stuff were in 1984, and it was the same. George Orwell. It was the same as it is now, and uh, I find I am more entertained by Bob Barker being snarky with people about not getting the wheel all the way around than watching new programming. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my god. They're using the past against us with technology. And it's just some robot going, hey, Bob Barker, we'll put him on television and this idiot will watch for eight hours straight. And I do every night. I, I don't know if you've seen it, but the guitar player from Killswitch Engage, Adam. Uh, yeah, Adam's the man. Was on The Price is Right yes. a what? few years I ago. Did, no! I didn't know. I did you've, got, you've got to go look it up. Because That's amazing. He like completely fanboys, ends up on stage, jumping up and down, going crazy. Is it with Bob Barker? No. Yeah. yeah. No, oh, they, I, no, I thought, no, I thought you said it was Drew recent. Car- Bob, it's, yeah, Drew Carey. Yeah, it was, it was a couple over. years ago. Oh, Bob Barker was, was still doing it. It was like it? right yeah. before. I'm, oh. I'm pretty sure it was. So it has to be like a decade ago Bob Barker was on because he's like 98 it wasn't a decade, was it? or 99 now. He's fucking old, bro. I actually had to Google if he was alive. Yeah, I, I thought he was dead. I thought, I thought he, he was dead be. too. And thankfully he is alive. <laughs> and like Herbie Hancock, him and Herbie <laughs> Hancock, who I said was dead on the show as well, Alex Skolnick, um, they're probably playing golf right now. I thought you Happy know. Gilmore killed him. Dude, he plays a lot of he's golf. He's on with Drew Carey. He was he's on with Drew, with Drew Carey? Carey? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I right. say, Bob Barker was a while ago, bro. It was 2015, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> you got you got to watch it. It's, yes. It is hysterical. We will put a link below this episode. Is it, <laughs> is it as good as Ike Turner on Judge Judy? I've never seen Ike Turner on Judge Judy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll just leave that nugget in your mind when you're like three o'clock in the morning, just YouTubing randomly. You're like, there is a thing out there that I now am aware of. I was almost on people's court. But <laughs> oh my the, gosh. The guy I was suing chickened out the last minute. So uh-huh. they pay for you. Yeah. They pay for you. Is it like so so he was still too much of a pussy to go on television and have his bill paid for him just to look like an idiot? Because he knew he was gonna lose. And he did That's lose. That's the idea. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He just didn't want to lose on TV. Yeah, he just didn't want to lose on <laughs> TV. But they pay for it on television. So, Siobhan, if you owe me $5,000, they go, okay, but then they pay it out of a fund, which is why they put that disclaimer. It's paid out of a fund. So no matter what, like if, if I have to pay you money, Judge Judy pays for it, or, or Marilyn oh. Million pays for it. Yeah, and then you get paid $500 either way. So even and if a, you lose, they ticket. pay your bill and you get $500. Mm-hmm. And they, he still didn't want to do it. He chickened out. The world we live in. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm subtly feeling litigious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to find something. To... <laughs> ben, I'm sure it's, you and I can figure out something stuff. to make some I mean, money. I, I had a good story, you know? I mean, I had yeah. this, this company put a transmission in the, in the van or in the bus that I built for my band and three transmissions blew. And so I was suing the guy for having to put a transmission in, in Texas that I had to just pay for because the third transmission blew. Uh, and he didn't want to pay for it. So I sued him and he lost. And I think that's why they dug it because it was like band guys and yeah, like, you yeah. know, just some kind of a different story, you know? I can only imagine like they have to keep that interesting, the same same thing every day. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
I can tell you what makes it interesting for Judge Judy. She's getting paid like $400,000 an episode. And that guy, Bird, he makes a million dollars a year to go like, nope. It's a good gig. Nope, nope. Pass me the phone. Like, if you, if, the, listen, would you do that for a million dollars a year? I would. You found out that you would do anything for a million dollars like a year. Then like, oh yeah, just like make side Jason comments. Jason was going to dress up like a dinosaur. All right, that's so true. We're, we're, for a we know, lot we know less than a million dollars a year. Yeah. <laughs> a on lot that, less than a million dollars a year. <laughs> on that note, we're coming to the end of our first hour here. Um, I think that we learned some stuff, and then we we lost some brain cells at some point as well. So I think it, I think it uh, balanced out. It was a solid Blockchain, new movie coming from <laughs> I James learned a Cameron. lot in this episode. That's fascinating. I, you have so many interesting side things. It's like <laughs> that I feel like every, every episode or every conversation with you, I learned something new. It's amazing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I can't play violin like you, so I, that's, no. I think that's the trade I made. <laughs> Are we going to go to your house and you're going to have like a bunch of uh, pipes? We can go down following a mushroom and we're going to go like to a different level of life. You're like, dude, this is where all the blockchain is happening. <laughs> I, I wish. I have a 600 square foot apartment in Brooklyn, so it's no room for pipes. <laughs> Thank you, Jason, for hanging out. <laughs> just, You're looking at half of it right now. Yeah. Like this is this is half of my house. <laughs> well, and for everyone listening, go back and check out our other episodes with Jason, so they yes. can hear more about you know what you do on a daily basis. We kind of got off the rails in this episode, which was amazing. But we yeah, well, he doesn't need more business now. So like, we're not even trying to like hype his stuff because it's like he doesn't want your business. He's too busy helping people as sad as us trying to get off. He's like, listen, that's more time than I even have in the day just to fix the lost symphony stuff nevertheless these static x guys but make sure you check out static x and steel panther and war and all the other great bands jason works with check out 2020.com 2020-d.com check out lostsymphony.com buy things uh give us money uh we don't have nfts yet but you can just give us money right the old-fashioned way support us poor uh, musicians we'll, we'll take it and uh, yeah. i'll take your blockchain bro like and subscribe to the podcast and we will see you on part two with jason Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 66, featuring John Denae of Anthrax and Shadows Fall. Check it out. The first few days of Ozfest, I was having amp problems, and I just kept fucking blowing my amps for some reason. I don't know why. Nobody could figure it out. And even... All the techs are like, Iron Maiden's like, I don't even want to plug in my shit after watching you. Like, they're afraid to use the power. Yeah. And uh, so I was having problems. And, and uh, Zach Wilde was just like, hey, man, you can use my stuff if you need to. Whoa. So I did a couple of gigs on Zach Wilde's uh, rig. It's just, you know, insane. Uh, I mean, if you told me that when I was 12, I would, there's no way I would believe that I would ever leave. Never mind play through or meet him, but then be on the same stage and be able to have that chance. Hi. 
Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.